Nice to be here today. However, I want to make a complaint. Every time I come here, it's dull, wet, and miserable. <laughs> and for the weather, well, that <laughs> 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 uh, uh, it's lovely to be here uh, with you again. You know, many years ago, I worked as a gardener uh, down at Macklemore Eventide Home. And the old guy that ran the home was a very wise man. And I remember him taking me aside one night. I used to go up and talk to him because there was nobody else to talk to at night. Uh, all the oldies were in bed by 9 o'clock and I was bored. Uh, it was a bit like being Willie, Willie and Janet Smith's house. You know, they off, off, all went off to bed early uh, due to their extreme age. And Mr. Scott said to me, remember, Gordon, if you're ever going to preach, never preach at people. Just preach Jesus to people. And that's what I want to do today. I want to preach to you something that's been in my heart and actually stemmed from my last visit here. Uh, is this on? No, it's not on. That won't work either. And it stems from this. We sang a song with that question the last time I was here. I'd never heard it before. It's now one of the best songs of 2018. And is he worthy? Is the Lord Jesus worthy? Is he worth following? Is he worth living for? Is he worth sacrificing your life for? Is he worth becoming a fool for? Is he worth spending energy for? Is Jesus worthy? The other day, the other week, I was in a train to Glasgow from Kilmarnock. That's a dangerous thing to do, just in case you're wondering. And two women get engaged in conversation. I have never heard the Lord's name taken in vain as many times as I did in that conversation. And it just takes me back. Is he worthy? And I want to ask you a question which we normally would ask to non-church scores this, this afternoon and ask you again and again. What do you think of Jesus? What do you really think of Jesus? Are we really in love with him? Are we following him? Are we trusting him? Is he everything to us? Are we more committed to him today than we were yesterday or the day before or the week before? Is our faith growing? Is our love developing? Is our commitment expanding? What do you think of Jesus? I'm going to take you back. I was trying to think of whether you had this. You know, a feature of past churches and past gospel halls was what you've got up there. There's always a verse in the wall, wasn't there? The word of the Lord endureth forever. And now, this Bible of mine contains thousands of texts, and yet there's a vast quantity available. And yet, as far as I can remember, there were three favorites. And the three favorites were this, Jesus Christ is Lord. Yeah, there you go. We had that at Anne Bank as well. The second one was this one, Christ died for our sins. But this was in a lot of places. What think ye of Christ? Or what do you think of Jesus? And I've been dwelling on that. What do I really think? How much does he really mean to me? Does, am I still inspired? Am I still committed? Am I, am I still dedicated? Is, does he still thrill my being? Is he everything to me? What, what do you think of Jesus this afternoon? Do you love him? Do you worship him? Do you adore him? What do you think of Christ? That's a vital question, not just for out he- there, but in here. Because, and here's why. But I'll tell you the context first. What do you think of Jesus? You're looking back, everybody's got an opinion. Everybody's an opinion about the Lord Jesus Christ. If you go and ask people the law of opinion, whether he's relevant or non-relevant, whether he's real, whether he's non-real, whether he's relevant or not, what do you think of Jesus? Of course, 
is an important question, and we find it asked a number of times. It was asked by Caiaphas, I think it was, in uh, Matthew 26, and he came to the Sadducees, or the Sanhedrin rather, and he asked these leaders, these religious men, what do you think? What do you think of the Christ? What's your view? How important is is he to you? And of course, that same question was also asked by the governor, Pilate, when he went to the people with Jesus in front of him, and he goes to the people, he says, what do you think of the Christ? As he put that question to the very people. And their response was this, he's worthy of death. We don't want anything to do with him. We want rid of him. He's worthy of death. And unfortunately, that's the view of many in society today. But could I also, also point out to you that question was also asked by Jesus. Again, in Matthew's gospel, he asked that question, what do you think? What do you think of Christ? And that's the question I want to put to you today. What do you think? And here's why. You know, your opinion of Jesus affects everything about life. It affects how you live. If he's Lord of your life, you live differently. If he's someone you love, you live differently. If he's someone you truly follow, you live differently. You, you want to spend time with him in the morning. You want to talk to him in prayer. You want to give to him in sacrificial giving. You want to serve. It affects every area of your life. It's not something for a Sunday afternoon. It's not something you put on when you come here to Townhead Christian Fellowship or whatever. uh, It affects every area of life. What you think of Jesus affects how you live. What you think of Jesus impacts what you say. The conversation I heard on the train was awful, abysmal, as they took the Lord's name in vain. You know, it affects what you say. Your words will be encouraging, they'll be kind, they'll be faithful, they'll be true. It won't be gossip or lies or cheating. What you think of Jesus impacts what you say. What you think of Jesus influences your priorities. You want to be with his people. You want to be at the prayer time. You want to be at the church. You want to be spending time in his word. It impacts and influences your priorities. You won't be out there doing something else all the time. Your opinion of Jesus changes your attitudes because we're told to have the same attitude as Jesus Christ. It changes our attitude to people, to the down and out, to the local worthy, to the, to the rogue in the street. You know, my... Middle daughter has got a temporary post at a school in South Ayrshire. It's a really, it's not a, a really bad area, but she's looking after four boys who basically are out of control. And it's interesting because uh, we were, we, my, my, my middle daughter is 22 but looks 12. Uh, very small, very slight, very young looking. And yet the compassion and love she has for these wild guys is astounding because, you know, your opinion of Jesus changes how you look at people. Lots of people would just cast them aside. They're no use. They're taking up time. They're wasting energy. They're ruining other lessons in the school. But the compassion of Christ changes your attitudes to people like that. Your opinion of Jesus alters your outlook in every area of life. Your opinion of Jesus reaches into every area of your life. Your opinion of Jesus affects the way you worship. You don't come here out out of tradition and out of duty and stand up and sing your heart out because you've got to. You're here to worship because you love him, because he means everything to you, because he's touched your heart, because he's changed your life, because he's made a difference and you know he still can. It affects the way you worship. 
Yes, your opinion of Jesus determines your eternal destiny, whether it's heaven or whether it's hell. And your eternal destiny changes, your, sorry, your, your perspective of Jesus changes everything. So I want to ask you t- today, what do you really think of the Lord Jesus? Are you in a living relationship with him? A daily walk with him? A growing love for him? A dependence in him? A trust in him? Are you living for him today? Because you know something? Christian lanity is all about following Jesus every day of life. It's following him every day of life. And what the aim of aspiration of every Christian is this, is to let them see Jesus in me. It's so that people will see the Lord Jesus in me. And that's our aspiration. So let's move on. I want to think really of two chapters in the Bible today, just uh, maybe a bit unusual. And the first one is Isaiah chapter 52. If you want to turn your Bibles to there, Isaiah chapter 52. And think about an Old Testament prophet view of Jesus. And of course, we're looking at the man Isaiah. Long before the birth of Jesus, long before he was born, hundreds of years before he was born, Isaiah reveals the following. Isaiah reveals to us the messenger that God would send. And of course, we all know these verses. As it's 11 weeks to Christmas, unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. Girls, have you decided what you're getting your mum for Christmas yet? No. I got a text this week saying, Dad, what do you want for Christmas? I texted back and said, I knew Mercedes would be nice, but uh, get no answer to that one. <laughs> That's from my student daughter. So she's thinking ahead. Isaiah looks forward and he reveals the messenger God would send. Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders. And so Isaiah saw the coming Christ, saw the coming king, and he reveals the messenger that God would send. But also in Isaiah, we find that Isaiah knew the message that he would bring. And I'm sure we know that. How lovely in the mountains are the feet of him who bring good news, proclaiming news of happiness, that our God reigns. What a message for today, that our God reigns still in 2019. And that's the message he would bring. Isaiah also foresees the type of death he would die. And of course, the famous words of Isaiah 53, that he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities, the punishment that brought us peace was laid upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. So Isaiah saw this as he looked forward, the messenger God would send, the message he would bring, the type of death he would die, and lastly, the honor he would be given. And that's what we want to look at today, the honor that he would be given. Let me read to you these verses, Isaiah 52, verse 13. Onwards headed the suffering and glory of the servant, of the suffering servant. And we're reading from a different version. Uh, It's the, I think it's the, wait a minute, I'll tell you. There we go, the CEV. The Lord says, my servant will succeed. Wow, isn't that tremendous? My servant will succeed. He will be given great praise and the highest honors Many were horrified at what happened to him, but everyone who saw him was even, more, was even more horrified because he suffered until he no longer looked human. My servant will make nations worthy to worship, to worship me. Kings will be silent as they bow in wonder. They will see and think about things they've never seen or thought about before. And so Isaiah, looking forward, sees God's servant, sees Jesus, highly exalted, raised up. Many would be appalled at him, 
but he, and he would silence many. What does this tell us? It tells us the following. Here's an Old Testament's understanding of the Lord Jesus. Here's what Isaiah understood. Firstly, that God has a plan for the redemption of the world. That, that throws me. This world is going somewhere. We're not, just, we're not under the control. And you, might, you can shout out hallelujah all you like. Trump's not in control and Boris is not in control. Praise the Lord. But God's in control. And he's got a plan for the redemption of the world. And that excites me and I hope it throws you too. And that plan involved the coming of Christ. The coming of Christ at Christmas. That plan involved the dying of Christ. Dying for you and for me. That plan involved the resurrection of Christ from the grave. That plan involved the ascension of Christ into glory to the Father's right hand. That plan involved the crowning of Christ as King of kings and as Lord of lords. Isaiah was amazed at what God was about to do. Wow. I wish we had that same thrill, that same joy, that same pleasure. As Isaiah looked into to history, he saw that God's perfect plan for the redemption, for the forgiveness of sin, for the redemption of man, that God's per- perfect plan for the world was the coming of Jesus Christ. And as he looked forward, that thrilled him and you know, just turned his world upside down as he looked forward and saw what God was about to do. What think ye of Christ today is the question. What do you think? Do you know what? Isaiah foresaw four truths. And these verses in the next chapter would tell us what those four truths. The first truth is this. He saw the depth of Jesus' suffering. Because he spoke there about his appearance being marred more than any man. His appearance being fig- disfigured. People appalled at what happened to him. He saw that. And as Isaiah looked ahead, he saw the depth of Jesus' suffering. That should astonish us. Does it astonish you? You know, one of the problems that we have is when you do things every week, you get used to it. And so when we break bread and wine as we do in this church every week, we can get used to it. But does it ever really move you that he took my sins and my sorrows? He made them his very own. And he bore my burden to Calvary and suffered and died alone. Does that astonish you? Another old hymn, it was for me, for me alone. The Savior left his glorious throne, the dazzling splendors of the sky. It was for me he came to die. And as Isaiah looked forward, he saw the depth of Jesus' suffering. May that move us. May that thrill us. May that challenge us. May that stir us. The depth of his suffering for us. But Isaiah also saw the following. He saw the effect of Jesus' sacrifice It says in the NIV that he'll sprinkle many nations. It says in one of the other versions, he will cleanse them of their sins. That's the effect, that we can be cleansed, that we can be forgiven, that we can be right with God, that we can go to heaven, that we can walk with God and serve God and be acceptable to God. That is thrilling. It is absolutely stunning that we who rebel and disobey and do all the wrong things can find acceptance in the sight of God, because of the sacrifice of Jesus. That should humble us, shouldn't it? Just as I am, but without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me, and that you bid me come to thee, O Lamb of God, I come. That should humble us. 
that this afternoon we can be forgiven because he was forsaken. Isn't that tremendous? Isn't that thrilling? Isn't that wonderful? He also speaks in this chapter about the wonder of Jesus' victory. And he speaks about kings being silenced and men being startled. It says, my servant will act wisely. He will be raised up and lifted up and highly exalted. You know, when people took Christ and nailed him to the cross, when people took Jesus and whipped him and beat him and put him in Calvary Street, they thought that was finished. They thought that was the end. They thought it was done, dusted, and over. And this man would never disturb them or annoy them again. Wow, how wrong they were. You know, the wonder of Jesus' victory. Up from the grave he arose with a mighty triumph for his foes. He arose a victor from the dark domain and he lives forever. That should startle men. That Jesus is living and Jesus is risen and Jesus is alive and Jesus is still changing lives today. The wonder of his victory. Does that throw you this afternoon? Are you rejoicing in that? That God's not dead as we used to sing with the kids he is alive. I feel it in my heart, at my feet, whatever. He's alive. The wonder of Jesus' victory. And the last one, the splendor of Jesus' reign. Did you notice in the passage that kings will shut their mouths? For, they were, for, they were not to, for what they were not told, they will see. And what they've not heard, they will understand. That one day they'll grasp the wonder of this and they'll be silenced. As they see Christ reigning, King of kings, Lord of lords, on the throne, high over all, victorious. The splendor of Jesus' reign will silence the men. They'll be silenced and shocked by it. Can I ask you this afternoon, how has Jesus impacted you? Are you taking him for granted? Or are you still thrilled with the wonder of his coming, of his death, of his, cruci- of his resurrection, of his glory? What do we really think of him this afternoon? There's someone looking on a phone. What sort of picture of Christ do you have? Here's Isaiah looking. And he's looking ahead, looking in the mirror, so to speak. And he's seeing wonderful things, great things happening. He's looking not only, sorry, not in the mirror, but ahead of time. And he's seeing all that Jesus is going to do. And I'm sure he was wondering about that. And of course, the hymn writer says this. This is our God the servant king. He calls us now to follow him, to bring our lives as a daily offering of worship to the servant king. Does the fact that he came as a servant, that he went to the cross, that he reached out to humanity, does it touch you? Does it stir you? Does it drive you? Does it call you? This is our God, the servant king, and he calls us now to follow him. But I want to move on from Isaiah. I want to move on to a New Testament disciple. If Isaiah thought that Christ was wonderful, chapter 53 is a tremendous chapter, and we might look at that some other time, where it speaks about the cross, but that small glimpse shows us what he understood of Christ. We turn to a New Testament disciple's view, and here's what the following. I'm thinking about John, who was one of the disciples, it says, whom Jesus loved. And you know, when John writes his epistles, because he doesn't see a lot in his Gospels, about what he thought of Christ. When John writes in his epistles, he tells us what he thought of Christ. This is what he says. If you turn over to 1 John, towards the end of the New Testament, you will find the following. 1 John chapter 1, verses 2 and 3 says, The life appeared, we've seen it, and we testify to it, 
And we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. And so John comes and he writes, he says, look, I want to tell you that Jesus is life. If you're looking for hope, if you're looking for something more, if you're looking for purpose, if you're looking for meaning, Jesus is life. First John chapter 1, verses 2 and 3, he's life. And if you actually go through the Gospels, this is, this is something you can do. Jesus spoke all the time about life. I've come that you might have life. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. You know, for God so loved the world, whosoever believes shall have eternal life. He speaks constantly about life. So Jesus is seen, John would tell us that Jesus is seen as life and the life giver. And then he says in chapter 2, verse 7, that Jesus is not only life, he's light. Chapter 2, verse 7. In fact, that's the wrong verse, actually. Uh, in fact, it's 1, verse 7. If we walk as... In the light as he's in the light, we fellowship with one another. And he goes on to speak about Jesus being the light. So he's the life, he's the light. And then we move on and we find that he's love. First John chapter 3 verse 16 would tell us that he is love. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. So he's light, life, he's light, he's love. And John would go further and say, wow, he's God. First John chapter 5 and verse 20. And we are in him who is true, even in his son, Jesus Christ. He's the true God and the eternal life. Here's a man that walked with him. Here's a man that talked with him. Here's a man that lived with him. Here's a man that saw the miracles. Here's a man that heard his words. Here's a man that stood back and watched what Jesus did. And he comes and says, hey, I want to tell you about what I think of Jesus. He's life. He's light. He's love. In fact, my conclusion is that he's God. God of all. And he says these words, that if you have Jesus, he who has the Son is life. If you have Jesus, you have life. Can I ask you this afternoon, do you have the Lord Jesus as your Savior? Do you have him in your life? Is he your Lord? Is he your King? Is he your God? Is he your life, the source of your being? Is he your light, the one who guides your path? Is he love, the one that fills you with the Father's love? And is he God to you? If you have Jesus, you have life, he would say. So what do you think of Christ this afternoon? What do you think? That's the challenge. Love, light, and life. And that's what we find when John speaks and tells us about Jesus. But I want to come to my main point. I think John had great insight. You know, when we come to the last book of the Bible, John's away from family and friends. The Bible would tell us that uh, he's away from everybody. He's isolated. He's on his own. And he's imprisoned on the Isle of Patmos. He's stuck in prison because of his faith, because of his love for Jesus. He's a captive. He's a prisoner. He's an outcast. And he's in handcuffs. So that's where he is. Now, I would expect somebody in that situation to be full of gloom and doom and despair. They're not meeting anybody. They're not fellowshipping with anybody. They're away from everybody they love and they know. It's all bad news because they're stuck there out the way. And yet it's astounding that in that most difficult of places, here's what happens. In that place of hardship and tears, in that place of real struggle, John writes the revelation of Jesus Christ. And I find this astounding. And I hope you do too. In the most difficult period of his life, 
You know, John learns how wonderful and great and special and unique and beyond compare Jesus is. Isn't that amazing? And I think this is true for many of you. When life is hard, when you're going through family difficulties or health difficulties or money difficulties or job difficulties or life's difficulties, so often we come to learn something and appreciate something more of Jesus. And you know, the John we meet in the Gospels, he's a great guy. And the John we meet in the epistles, he's a great guy as well. Yes, he's committed to Jesus, but the John we find in Revelation is a different guy because he's learned something. He's learned how wonderful and great and how special and unique Jesus is in a new way, in a deeper way. He's had a real revelation of who the one he followed is, and it blows his mind. And I want it this afternoon to blow your mind. How much we have to learn, haven't we? How much we need to learn about the greatness of Christ. Here's what John says in Revelation chapter 5. Then I saw on the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, Who is worthy to break the seals and open the scrolls? But no one in heaven or on earth was found who could, who could open the scroll or look inside. I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. Then one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. See, the line of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain, standing in the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. Then I looked, and I heard the voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands, and ten thousand times ten thousand, and they encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. And in a loud voice they were saying, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits in the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. The four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. You know, John's given a great insight into heaven, but he's given a great insight to the greatness of Jesus. Then I saw a lamb, looking as if it were slain. He is worthy to take the scroll and open the seals. And I want to just share that with you this afternoon. John, the New Testament disciple, learned how truly wonderful Jesus is. What do you think of Christ this afternoon? Do you appreciate how great he is? He's worthy. He's the lamb who was slain. He's the one that went to the cross. He's the one that sits in the throne. Isn't this thrilling? Absolutely stunning. God rated him. God rated him. According to Revelation 5, the angels rated him. They sang that he is worthy. Heaven rated him. Because it would tell us that every creature in heaven and earth sang this song of how worthy Jesus is. Isaiah rated him as he looked forward in time. And in this chapter, we saw that John rated him. What do you think of Christ this afternoon? 
What do you think of Jesus? Does he thrill your soul? Has he touched your heart? Has he changed your life? Has he taken your prior, changed your priorities? Does he mean everything that you have and are is his? What do you think of Christ this afternoon? You know, that's the message of Isaiah 52 and 53. That's the message of John, Revelation chapter 5, that he's worthy. Worthy of glory and honor and praise. Worthy of my heart. Worthy of my life. Worthy of my commitment. Worthy of my talents. Worthy of my all. Worthy of everything I have and can give him. He is worthy. Is that how you feel today about the Lord Jesus? As we come to the final slide. Two men. We've looked at two men today, Isaiah and John. And this is what we learn about them. They're from different backgrounds. More than that, they're from different eras, periods of time. One Old Testament, one New Testament. You know, many hundred years between them. Two men. They're from different worlds because things had changed so much in those periods. Two men with different life experiences. Two men. They reach one conclusion. And there's the conclusion that Jesus is worthy. That Jesus is worthy. In fact, this might come up. There's another modern song that says this. You're worthy of it all. You're worthy of it all. For from you are all things and to you are all things. You deserve the glory. You're worthy of it all. I want to just challenge you this afternoon about your relationship with Christ. Your opinion of Christ. Your commitment to Christ. Your love of Christ. Your impression of Christ. Your view of Christ. I want to go back to that poster. What do you think of Christ? Can you say today, He is worthy of it all? I've asked the guys to play.